In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. Lord Jesus, your entire life here on earth is a personal message to each and every one of us individually. Everything you say, everything you do is for my edification. It's for public consumption. Help us dialogue with you about an important episode in your life, which is the underlying theme of the entire season of Lent, your long sojourn in the desert where you spent 40 days and 40 nights in intense prayer and fasting. The consequence of that protracted time of prayer and sacrifice brought the evil one out of his lair, where you came face to face with him the arch-enemy of love, the arch-enemy of the redemption, the evil one whose mission is to undermine you, who is in a constant state of hatred towards you. He attempted to disarm you, even though you are the Son of God, disarm you in your humanity. This sojourn in the desert and this dialogue, dialogue's not perhaps the right word, these responses to the temptations of the evil one serve as the template for our own personal struggles. But let's dwell on your retreat in the desert, subject to the severe discomforts of living and sleeping on the desert ground, vulnerable to wind, to blowing sand, to wild animals, as the gospel says, deprived of food and drink, I presume there was at least a minimal amount of food and drink to survive that long period of time. Whether it's exactly 40 days or not is irrelevant. It was a long sojourn in isolation amid deep silence. To utilize an idea of Pope Francis when he spoke about Lent, to be exact, last Ash Wednesday, he said that the desert is a good place as well, 
it's the medium to speak with God, to discern God's will, to draw strength out of prayer, etc. It's interesting to note that uh, the Lord did not use an American consultant who would give him very practical advice to be very effective in his public life. The last thing he would have advised Jesus would be to withdraw into a desert, spending his days there in prayer and fasting. Rather, he would say, proclaim that there's going to be an opening day, give an impassioned sermon that will mesmerize the crowd, and work a few miracles. Let a puppy dog appear out of nowhere. help someone grow a couple of inches or command that it rain and then immediately command that the sun come out. Impress people. Get the PR ball rolling. He did the opposite. And of course, this is a teaching device, the whole gospel is a teaching device, that I need to imitate him in that period of silence and mortification. I need to translate it within my own personal circumstances and and situation. But the Lord is delivering a powerful message He is telling us to be effective in extending that kingdom. It needs to be rooted in serious prayer, time spent in prayer, and penance, renunciation of self. To reflect a little bit on St. Maria's teaching from the get-go since being enlightened by the Holy Spirit on October 2nd, 1928 where he was illuminated in his mind and heart that in order to Christianize the world a follower of Christ needs to pursue nothing less than being completely centered on him. In other words, the follower of Christ needs to pursue holiness, sanctity. St. Josemaria would make it very clear that this sanctity is founded on serious prayer. In fact, he'd go on to say, using ideas from Scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament, that we are called by God to be in a constant state of presence of God in prayer. In fact, he took prayer so seriously 
and I will give you the cliff note version that group of women in Opus Dei cornered him in the 40s complaining that they were so busy and their schedules were interrupted that they didn't find time for prayer anymore. And his reaction was to burst into tears, leaving the room. He had a meeting with them and came back and urged them that no matter what has to be done away with or eliminated, it can never be prayer. That's the lifeline of growth of the kingdom of God, which is a kingdom of joy and peace and love and happiness, forgiveness. So we go back to Jesus' sojourn. And after that protracted time and prayer and penance, he's a real man, young man, energetic man. He's rather hungry. He's starving, as we put it. Thirsty. Very tired. But unbeknownst to the evil one, profoundly energized to embark upon his public life because of this retreat. And the opening salvo of Satan is turn the stones into bread if you're the son of God. Gives us a sneak preview of more poignant words inspired by the devil as well when Jesus was hanging on the cross and he was being taunted by the crowd of people at the foot of the cross if you're the son of God remove yourself from the cross that's the first temptation how does this have practical value for me I'm morally certain that I will not face off with the evil one. Nor should our imaginations go out of control thinking that, well, the evil one will cause my bed to vibrate at night or when I look at the mirror, it will crack. It has nothing to do with how we look, but the presence of the evil one. Or when I look in the mirror, I see a vague image of the devil. No, that's, he's too intelligent for that. That's a bit of a waste of time. I'm not saying he's not capable of doing those kinds of things, but that's not going to accomplish his purpose. His purpose is to stop the kingdom from growing. And he will emphasize the need to be practical. Take the practical route. Turn those stones into bread. You're hungry. You're tired. Well, don't just 
ignore those stones, prove a point, prove that you're God, turn them into bread, and nourish yourself. The evil one is going to concentrate, if you will, on those followers of Christ who pray, or at least those followers of Christ, or those potential followers of Christ. Yes, he wants to pull people away from the church. He wants, he tempts people to commit grievous sin. He has influence on legislation of of laws that are really not laws, especially when they violate flagrantly natural law. But there's a special emphasis on those who follow Christ. We can't be presumptuous that we're not capable of being unfaithful or incapable of turning our back permanently to God, turning our backs from God, but he will tempt us with all sorts of logic to stop praying or to pray poorly or to allow routine to creep into my spiritual life. Why? Because then an evangelist, someone who wants to evangelize, someone who wants to be salt of the earth and light of the world, cannot be, at best, a flickering candle or insipid salt. Because the apostle of today, of the 21st century, needs to reflect the humility, the joy, the affection, the kindness, the spirit of service of Jesus Christ. Imperfectly, but nevertheless, reflect it. That does not come from raw effort or willpower. It comes from uniting ourselves to the heart of Christ in prayerful adoration, in meditation, in contemplation. It's not easy to pray, but our Lord will give us the grace. But it is indispensable. In the past, St. Josemaria would pull people aside. I can think of one specific incident. He pulled the future prelate of Opus Dei aside, Bishop Javier Echeverria at that time. He was Father Javier. He pulled him aside, again in a charismatic moment, telling him that the only means for Opus Dei to do its work is prayer. He says, never forget that. Even if you have a lot of means, you don't. It's always going to be prayer. And we Americans and non-Americans 
can give into the temptation of being overly logical. The bread, or the excuse me, the the stones that were tempted to turn into bread, has many aspects. But I think nowadays it is time. I could accomplish so much more by not spending 15 minutes in prayer or a half hour or even an hour. I could get a lot more done. Or my schedule is, is packed and therefore I'm going to turn the stones that, by the way, it's another symbol of Christ, those, the stones of time into more activity. We are subject to hectic activity if we're not on our guard. And we find nourishment in activism, in accomplishing more, which is good, but it's not an absolute good. And we have to prioritize. Jesus was extremely active. He was nonstop. In fact, they accused him of madness because he had no time for lunch. and he, People couldn't even get into his own house. But that's what I want to look at. And then also those stones that could be turned into bread is always taking the easy way out. I feel I don't want to say no to my desires for legitimate pleasure. Food, drink, listening to music. Habitually allowing myself to sit or lie in a very comfortable posture. We're not going to be Puritans. We're not going to be Stoics. But we want to put a high priority on saying no to myself. I'm dating myself. I look at food and drink and physical comfort as the arena for self-denial. But these very holy young people tell me that in the 21st century, in this digital age, a great area for self-denial is social media, looking at the phone, texting, those kinds of things. And they told me because that is a distraction from prayer and distraction from people and also a distraction from getting their uh, work done, their term papers, studying their course material. The devil tries a couple of more times to draw Jesus away from his mission. And perhaps it's cloaked in mystery, but again, there is a personal message for me. He leads Jesus to a parapet overseeing the holy city of Jerusalem. And again, goads Jesus to jump off that parapet because if he really is God, 
or that close to God, God will catch him, or he will not wound his foot against the stone. And Jesus responds immediately, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. What's this all about? Well, it's the temptation to presumption, that God will help me, that I don't have to cooperate with God. It doesn't really matter what I do. Well, it does. Yes, it's absolutely true that it's the Holy Spirit who transforms us, who converts us, but in conjunction with my desires to quote St. Augustine, to quote St. Maria, that struggle is a sign of life. Struggle not in the sense that, you know, I make myself a saint, I become Christ-like, but now I provide, because I want to, the staging area, the conditions for the Holy Spirit to convert me and transform me. There's a mighty difference from someone who wakes up earlier to devote time to prayer and perhaps to go to Mass than someone who doesn't give it a thought. We don't grow in holiness unless, I'm, unless we make resolutions to serve the needs of others, beginning with our own family. We can't just passively tell ourselves, well, it's business as usual. I don't need to make an effort. Or I don't have to treat my spiritual life as I treat my professional life or my athletic life or some other form of relaxation or a hobby. No, I need to put, what kind of effort do I have to put in? Well, Jesus spells it out, quoting the Old Testament. Love God with whole heart, whole mind, whole soul, whole strength. And if a Christian is content with showing up for Mass and saying a few token prayers, that's significant. Uh, we don't want to dismiss the importance of even that. But that's not, that is in a certain sense. Well, I don't have to give serious cooperation to God's work with me. Last temptation, the third one, Jesus, the evil one promises control of the, of the, the holy city, control, riches and pleasures and power if he kneels before him. And Jesus reacts again that it's only God you, we must serve. And what does that tell us? We could be pressured into compromising our discipleship. Why is that? Let's face it. We will be a sign of contradiction. I mean, even in the most in the most practical, mundane way. I won't gossip. 
I won't say negative things about people. It could be a, at my place of work. Or there's impure banter. And not that I have to be the moral conscience of every conversation. But at the same time, I witness that I embrace holy purity and that others must respect that. Moral doctrines of the church that we're all aware of. Again, we don't keep harping on moral issues, being, you know, a habitual killjoy. But at the same time, we speak the truth, speak the truth with charity. Because it would be much easier to be silent. It would much easier, it'd be much easier to blend in. It would be easier to reject some of the gospel's teaching under the guise of political correctness and advance more in stature in the eyes of others in terms of social status, popularity, professional gain, etc. But we go back to our Lord's sojourn. It's, it's through prayer that we will overcome all temptation. But these are the areas we want to look at with more peace and more calm throughout the duration of Lent. We finish our prayer asking you, Jesus, we want to reflect your life. We want to incarnate that point in the way written by St. Jose Maria. May your behavior be such that those who speak to you can say this man or this woman reads the life of Jesus Christ. I don't have the way with me, so I'm sort of quoting it, not verbatim, but the idea is, is that. Mary, we close our prayer. We are grateful to your son for this very special period of grace. We need your help. We need your grace so that I connect with your son and give priority to prayer and that I reject temptation by invoking your intercession before your all-loving and merciful Son. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help in putting them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me.